Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, welcome back to our New Testament overview, and uh, we're into the letters of Paul. And we're going to be looking at the letter to the Galatian churches, uh, more commonly known just as Galatians um, in the New Testament. This one is a little bit harder to nail down when it fits into the book of Acts. And so we put it here near the beginning since it's probably an earlier letter. There's some debate about that. We're not going to get into the weeds on that today. But it is written to not just one church, as many of the letters are, Uh, but to a group of churches, to the churches of Galatia, which was a region in modern-day Turkey. And it's most likely some of the churches that Paul visited in Acts chapter 14. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this would have kind of come on the tail end of Paul's first missionary journey, his first preaching trip that he went on, um, that we emphasized whenever we went through the book of Acts. But uh, it is kind of cool to note for uh, actually a lot of these different letters that Paul writes uh, to one church, these letters were getting circulated. Uh, mm-hmm. They would have went to multiple different people, or different churches, rather, in those areas. And that's an important thing to think about, because I think when we think of churches, we think about, like, oh, well, there's this one, and then then there's one, you know, 40 miles down the road, or, you know, that's kind of how we think about it. But, but then you didn't have a car to hop in and drive 40 miles to church. And so even within one city, that might be, you know, 10 miles square by 10 miles squares. You could have several churches within that one city for people to walk and to join and to gather to. And so that was very well the case here in the Galatia region, um, also known as the Lyconian region, uh, the area that we're looking at as well, that had the churches of Lystra, Iconium, and Derby. Yeah. So as we think about Paul writing this letter, um, the occasion for his writing is that there have been false teachers that have come in behind him. So he's gone to these cities, he's established uh, churches there, has helped convert disciples for the Lord. And now he's facing some really tough decisions because these false teachers have come in and have done a couple of different things. One is that they are teaching specifically that the Gentile Christians, that again, Paul helped convert in these cities, that they're not really Christians. Um, that they have to become Jews in order to really be saved. And this is a big question in the book of Acts. If you remember Acts chapter 15 in season 2, when we went through that and talked about dealing with doctrinal issues, this was a huge question in the early church. And the book of Galatians, if you don't understand that debate, it's going to make less sense. Uh, Paul is writing in a context where this debate is raging and brethren that he loves and helped convert are being swayed about these questions. And so Paul is writing with intense concern for these Christians, who they may not have been Christians for a very long time at this point when he's Mm -hmm. writing, and is trying to snatch them back from this false teaching. Well, the other thing the false teachers were doing is they were attacking Paul himself, they're not just attack, attaching, attacking the teaching of Paul, but they're attacking the character of Paul, his motivation, how he works, so his basis for gospel work, which is kind of what you have to do, right? Is you mm-hmm. don't just attack the the ideas, but the person. 
And so Paul, in the first part, the first really couple of chapters of Galatians, are going to be mostly Paul having to have a leg to stand on with the, his own converts. Uh, and so he's having to defend himself. So we feel for Paul as he's writing this letter, trying to defend the, the true teaching that he's taught, but also his own character. Yes. And so this is something that false teachers will often do as they come into these churches. You actually see glimpses of this in Second Corinthians, and we'll talk about that in another episode. But where they, if they can tear down Paul's name and specifically tear down his apostleship, then they can undermine everything that Paul has said up until that point. And so that's going to be an important thing to look for as Paul is defending himself. Uh, I'm sure he is hurt, but he is trying to emphasize to them that this gospel he is preaching, it came from Jesus Christ. It wasn't something he came up with himself. And it's also not something that he had just heard from someone else, but it came from Jesus directly. Um, and so pointing out that he is an apostle, he is sent out by Jesus, and he has proof for that would have been really vital for these brethren. Yeah. So some of the other themes that we'll see before we kind of get into an outline of the letter itself, sometimes Galatians is called a mini-Romans, which if you go read the book of Romans and then you read the book of Galatians, you'll notice, man, there's a lot of similar themes here. Now, Galatians is a lot shorter, Mm -hmm. uh, more concise in some of its arguments. Paul is much more exhaustive in the 16 chapters of Romans than the six chapters of Galatians. But there's a lot of focus on how God makes us righteous, how we're justified through trusting Jesus and responding in trust to him. And so you'll see a lot of those similar themes as you work through here. Um, Again, a lot of Galatians is written specifically in response to these uh, people who are insisting that Gentiles become Jews. Sometimes they're called Judaizing teachers, uh, or sometimes called the Jew-making teachers is the idea behind that. Yeah, and I know we emphasized that uh, when we went through Acts 15, but we might just kind of talk about that again. The, The thought process behind someone that is teaching Judaism or that you need to Judaize they still believe in Jesus. They are still proclaiming him and understanding him to be the Christ. But they're insisting that in order to become a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. And so just on a day-to-day basis, that's going to look like them getting circumcised, them keeping the Sabbath, them keeping the food laws and the different things that come. And once you've proven that you've done all of those things, at that point, you can then be baptized and become a member of Jesus's church and, and work with those brethren but do you see how that's putting a barrier that's putting something there that jesus never intended to be there in the first place that's what paul is taking a stance against that it is in fact anyone who wants to come to jesus in faith can obey him and be baptized and have their sins forgiven there is no requirement to become a jew first so that's simply what it means to be teaching some kind of judaizing uh principle or or lesson which is kind of funny how many times this problem is addressed in the New Testament. Um, Acts chapter 10 and 11 with the conversion of Cornelius, there were so many signs and so many confirmations like, hey, the Gentiles are in. He does not have to be converted to Judaism first. Um, But that doesn't settle the question because it comes up again in Acts 15. (laughs) And when there's false teachers who have come to Antioch and the church there and they're having to deal with it there. And now Galatians, uh, whenever it was written, it's another round of the same debate. And so it's kind of interesting just to see sometimes how hard false doctrines die mm-hmm. and how even if you've corrected it in one place, it doesn't mean that in another place it's not still raging. And so 
Over and over again, we see Paul working to counteract false doctrine wherever it may crop up. And so you can imagine in a congregation that has Jews and Gentiles in it just how much turmoil there would be between those two groups of people as they are working through these hard problems and through these hard questions. And so one of the things Paul is going to do in this letter is show them the unity and freedom that they actually have in Jesus Christ. And that should make them rally and unite together. Uh, on the back half of Galatians in chapters 5 and 6, it all really comes back down to their divisions that are among them and their factions and the different issues that they're having. If they can all learn to rally around the truth and freedom and faith they have in Jesus, a lot of those problems will be solved. And so just kind of remember that in the background of Galatians, that Paul is really striving to get these brethren to get along with one another. Mm -hmm. uh, and that this common cause of faith in Christ is what unites them. And that's really the context for the famous passage in Galatians 5 about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of God's spirit. Mm -hmm. That uh, love, joy, peace, patience, those things are going to help you fix this divide and help you come to a common faith in Christ instead of being swayed by these false teachers to attack each other, exclude each other. Uh, so that's the context for some of these famous conversations that certainly apply not only in that circumstance, but in all circumstances. But you can see, again, how false teaching and the works of the flesh, uh, they, they go together. So as we look at Galatians, there's kind of three big movements of the book. Um, chapters 1 and 2, for the most part, are Paul's background. Um, he's going to have some intense concern for the Galatians, but he's going to mainly spend the first couple of chapters reviewing his conversion and his interaction with the apostles in Jerusalem, or in this case, the lack of interaction, mm -hmm. um, that Paul got his good news directly from Jesus by revelation. And he wasn't just a a, a disciple of the apostles <laughs> and yeah. kind of a second-hand apostle. He is straight from Jesus. Jesus yeah. commissioned him and sent him. And that kind of explains verse 1. Paul, an apostle, and then insert, as my Bible does it, this parenthetical, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. All right, so right and from all the verse 1. He, yeah. He's already got an axe to grind, <laughs> yeah, exactly. a, a good axe in yeah. this case. But and you can almost hear that he's quoting the people that are tearing him down. Oh, I, Paul, you know, he's just sent through some agency, you know, like through, he, through humans. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he, he's not straight from the source. And Paul is saying from the very beginning, yes, I am. Uh -huh. I have been sent from Jesus and I'll tell you why. <laughs> and yes. so from the very beginning, like Stephen said, you see this ax he has to grind and it's justified. Yes. So the second movement of the book, we'll get in a minute, um, is kind of end of chapter 2, chapter 3, uh, through chapter 4, where Paul gets into the nuts and bolts of the arguments about how God makes us righteous, how Jesus can justify us through his blood, and, and the relationship between the old law that these Judaizing teachers are pushing on Gentiles and the new covenant, the new law that the old law points to. And so he'll, he'll really get into some fascinating nuanced arguments uh, in that middle section, which is kind of the guts of the book, Galatians 3 and 4. And then chapters 5 and 6, he shifts a little more toward practical things, although it's hard sometimes to divide these things. We it try is. to do this just to make it more sense. But like with a lot of Paul's letters, you, you can't just read a snippet of it. Read the whole thing uh, together. But chapters 5 and 6, he focuses a lot on 
moving forward in freedom through God's Spirit. Um, it talks about the freedom they have in Christ, and again, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, and how this church can be unified by putting aside their fighting and submitting to uh, to God's Spirit, to, to Christ. Um, so, kind of coming back, the first couple of chapters, Galatians starts out a little differently than some of the other letters that Paul writes. Normally, there's a greeting, which this does have a greeting, grace and peace. But instead of a thanksgiving section, where he's like, oh, I thank my God and I remember you and I'm praying for you and this. In Galatians 1 verse 6, he starts out with a bang. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Well, Paul, tell us how you really feel. Seriously. Yeah. He, um, he comes out, guns a-blazing. Yes, he is very clear that um, he's upset, <laughs> he's not happy, and he was hoping that they would have a more grounded faith in what he had taught them. But they quickly deserted Jesus, is who he's talking about here, for a different gospel. And you, you can see the different parentheticals Paul gives with this, in, like in verse 7. Not that there is another gospel, but you know what I mean. You, you have abandoned the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that anyone is welcome to him, if in faith they believe in him, repent, and are baptized, you have abandoned that for that which is false. And he says it distorts the gospel of Christ. In the process, and that, that's what we've got to realize, when we're going along with another gospel, it actually isn't innocent. It's distorting the true gospel at that point. And that is an offense to Jesus Christ. And so we have got to stand on the truth of the gospel instead. And in verse 8, uh, Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, he is to be accursed. That's how convicted you should be of this good news of Jesus Christ. That even if an angel from heaven, <laughs> uh, you can hear the hyperbole in that, was to come and say something different, you would just do away with him because you know what the truth is. But that's not what this church has done. And you have to appreciate Paul's heart here. I don't think Paul is just getting mad because he's an angry guy. But these are brethren that he loves, and he cares about their souls, and he can see the spiritual danger that this false teaching is putting them in. And so as he writes Galatians, he's going to have several moments where he kind of lets that frustration show. Um, he'll say in chapter 3, uh, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Um, he'll say have some strong words against the false teachers in chapter 5. Um, I mean, but you, yeah. You see Paul caring enough about these brethren to correct them. And sometimes in our culture, in our time, people say, well, if you really care about someone, then you just you approve of what they do. That, that's not always the case biblically. Sometimes you care enough about someone to disapprove of what they're doing and to let them know. Now, again, Paul, I don't think, is being uh, overly harsh or just mean. But he's letting them know in no uncertain terms, if you go off of the gospel, your soul is in danger. Yeah. And so it's worth being passionate. It's worth uh, being forthright 
and showing them this is false, don't believe this, don't go down this path. If you do, you're lost. And so one of the things that false teachers are doing, if they can tear down the character of Paul, then in effect that will tear down any teaching he has just had. And so that kind of helps outline what Paul is about to do. The first thing he's going to do is defend himself because that's what the first thing they're trying to do is tear down. And then he's going to defend the gospel in chapter 3 and 4. And so that's why he says in verse 10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul is setting up the fact that he's about to talk about himself. (laughs) He's about to talk about himself a lot. And it's not just because he's trying to please them. It's not like he's on his knees begging them, Oh, I promise you I'm not a liar. He is trying to defend his ministry because it ultimately defends the gospel that he's teaching. That's right. And so what's going to happen in, in chapter 1, 18 through 24, he's going to talk about a first visit that he made to Jerusalem after three, three years after his conversion. Verses 11 through 17, he kind of reviews his conversion. Um, then 18 through 24, there's a first visit to Jerusalem. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, there's a second visit to Jerusalem after 14 years. Um, and then there's an interesting episode in 11, two, chapter 2, 11 through 14, where Paul has to oppose Peter to his face because of Peter's hypocrisy, specifically in the matter of Jews and Gentiles mm-hmm. and how he was pulling back from the Gentiles when these Jews came to visit. But one of Paul's main points in this whole section is to show that he got the gospel directly from Jesus, which, again, you can kind of hear in the background Again, we're, we're, we're reading someone else's mail. There's another end of this conversation, but sometimes you can tell by what one end of a phone call sounds like, what's being said on the other end. Right. And you kind of have to do that with Galatians and, and think, okay, what were the false teachers saying about Paul to make him say the defense that he's having to say? And so one of the things like Chase described earlier is, oh, Paul... He's not a legitimate apostle. He's a latecomer. He just got it from the original 12. And he, uh, you know, is kind of a secondhand. He's an agent. He was sent by the agency. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's not really, it's not coming straight from Jesus. And I mean, that was the whole idea of being an apostle, as someone who Jesus sent to represent himself and, and teach and do miracles and all these things. So when Paul talks about these two visits to Jerusalem, the first one, he just says, listen, I was only there 15 days. Like, there's, There was no time for them to educate me and everything. I had to get this from Jesus even before that. And then in chapter 2, when he talks about the visit 14 years later, he does go up and they agree with him. It's not that they correct him or somehow he is, you know, some student or Padawan, he's a Star Wars term, uh, of, of these apostles. No, like they agreed with him. They gave him the right hand of fellowship. And so it's just powerful, I think, to see the way that Paul walks back through logically and saying, no, these accusations about me are false. Look at the time that I actually spent in Jerusalem. I couldn't have gotten this from the apostles. I got it from Jesus himself. So listen to this message. This is not just my opinion. I didn't make this up or twist it from the apostles. This is the gospel of Jesus that I got direct from a source. And then, as Stephen talked about, he goes into talking about this time where he has to point out some hypocrisy in Peter. And I don't believe he's doing that just to be mean and then tear down the character of the other apostles. That's not at all what he's doing. But he is pointing out a couple things. Number one, 
Paul's own consistency with this teaching, that even when he saw an apostle of Jesus Christ, Peter, living this out in a false way by treating the Jews one way and kind of treating the Gentiles a lesser way, Paul's pointing out, I stood up for that. Even against one of the apostles himself, I stood up for the truth. But the second thing he's pointing out is that when Peter was acting this way, uh, treating the Jews nicely and then kind of ignoring the Gentiles when they ate, he will say um, in verse 14 that he said to Peter, if you being a Jew, uh, or excuse me, sorry, in verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? I want to zero in on that phrase in verse 14, that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. That whenever these Jewish and Gentile brethren are not treating each other the way they should, that is a false gospel. They are not living out what the truth of the gospel is that unites them together. So you see kind of a couple reasons why Paul would tell the story. One, to prove that he just didn't get this lesson from the apostles. But secondly, that this very teaching actually separates brethren. It actually divides them. It did it for Peter, and it's doing it for this church right now. It's divisive. The truth of the gospel unites people together, not divides them. And so there's kind of a couple different reasons for that, and that really leads Paul into his next uh, thing in verses 15 through 21. Yeah, and this is where there's kind of a change in, in the approach where instead of continuing to talk about his own past, he, he moves directly to some of the, the doctrinal questions that they're grappling with about faith and works of the law. Does someone really have to keep the law of Moses in order to be a Christian? How did they receive the gospel when they first were converted? He's going to approach a lot of these questions in this middle part of the book. One of the main points he's going to make is that it's so, so important for us to understand grace. It's so, so important for us to understand that we are not earning our salvation, which again, is, is that's not really what the law of Moses ever taught, but it's what had happened to a lot of the Jews, is they had gotten into a mindset of law-keeping and using the law of Moses as a specific way of saying, all right, if you keep check, 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 do all these things, now you're saved. And Paul will say famously in, in Galatians 2 and verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And so he's going to weave in some powerful verses. And again, you probably heard that uh, I've been crucified with Christ line. Mm -hmm. But it's in the middle of these arguments about the law and the role of the law. And so in chapter 3, he really gets deeper into these arguments and talks about their conversion. They, know they, they didn't receive this originally. Uh, he's again writing primarily to the Gentile disciples as he's writing that when you didn't receive the law of Moses when you were converted, you just received Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and now do you think you have to add on the law to really be saved? No. 
that that's not uh, the way it was then. It's not the way that it should be now. And he also emphasizes that they're in good company by putting their faith simply in God and simply in Jesus, because that's exactly what Abraham had done, the father of the Jews. And so he has this side point that would have been so important for the Jews to hear as they're looking up to Father Abraham, but also to the Gentiles that they share in the Jewish faith because they're putting their faith in God, just like Abraham did. And so that would have been a really profound point for both parties at this point. Mm -hmm. And this is where in Galatians 3, if you have a Bible with like cross-references in it, um, you'll just note that like Paul starts to quote a lot of Old Testament passages Mm -hmm. here. And one of the things he's going to do in Galatians and Romans as well is he's going to use the Old Testament to show that being made righteous through trusting in Jesus has always been the way it is. That's right. And, and and this isn't some new, sudden change in the way we respond to God. It was that way under the first covenant, too. And that points us to the new covenant that we have in Christ. And so it's really cool to see uh, toward the end of this chapter, as Paul talks about the purpose of the law, what was the purpose, what was not the purpose of the law. Law just shows you where you've sinned. Um, he talks about that. Uh, later in this chapter. Um, but look at what it says in verse 23. This is Galatians 3:23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So one of the analogies, he uses a lot of analogies in Galatians. One of the analogies he'll use is of a child growing up and being kind of under a tutor or under a guardian. Yeah, mine says tutor there. Yeah, and so it's like, well, God was using the law of Moses to train you in certain ways to bring you to Christ, but now Christ is here. You don't need, it's like training wheels, you know. Once you learn to ride the bike, you don't need the training wheels anymore. Yes. You put those away. And, and he's like, that's more like what the law was. Um, it is, is like these things. It trains you. It helps you. There's a purpose to it. It's not that you just are like, oh, that was bad. It wasn't bad. It was complete for the purpose that it was given for. But now you have the real deal. So don't go backwards uh, to the things that are less mature. Yes. And so with Paul's double purposes, as he writes, there he establishes the truth. He uses scripture to make the truth clear. And then you see the application to them in verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You were all baptized into Christ, uh, or all you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man, neither male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. So then he hits him with the unity card. (laughs) He says, so all of these divisions should really be united because of your faith in Jesus Christ. So keep a lookout for that kind of dual purpose as Paul speaks through the rest of the book. Yes. So in chapter 4, um, he'll, he'll use some more analogies about being a son versus being an heir. And again, kind of growing up. He, he's trying to show the Gentile Christians, listen, you already have the more mature thing here. Right. Don't go backwards. Exactly. Um, you are sons of Abraham, even though you're not physically sons of Abraham. You have the faith that Abraham had. And again, Romans will make many similar points. But in chapter 4, Paul also just bears his heart to them. Mm -hmm. And 
says, listen, I love you guys. I am so worried for you. I can't believe this is happening. Um, in chap- chapter 10, or excuse me, verse 10, chap- chapter 4, verse 10. There we go. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years, referring to Jewish festivals. I'm afraid I may have over labored over you in vain. And then he'll, he'll say in verse um, 16, 16, have I then become your enemy? By telling you the truth, it's just such a sad statement uh, to make. But then he points out what the false teachers were doing. Verse 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Yes. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul loves these brethren, and he wants them to believe and practice what is right. And that's why he's making these technical arguments and trying to convince them of the truth of what he taught them originally and turn them away from these false teachers. And the last Old Testament argument Paul will bring up is actually between uh, Sarah and Hagar. Uh, for these Old Testament figures, uh, both one was the wife of Abraham and then the the maid of the wife of Abraham. But he has two children through them, Isaac and Ishmael. And what Paul is essentially going to get to is that as descendants of Abraham, we are born of freedom, of the free woman, not of the slave. And he's getting at this overall point of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, not slavehood. And yet that's the very thing that's being taught in Judaism is that you are a slave and that you are a slave of the law. But that is not the case in Jesus Christ. We're, we're sla- we are born of the free woman uh, there at the end of verse 31. Mm-hmm. And that gives, right, gives way right into the third movement of the book in chapter 5. Again, sometimes it's hard to put these divisions in because you're like, oh, well, that, that point just goes right over the break. It just leads right in. Yes. Yeah, so chapter 5, verse 1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And uh, Paul even talks about himself there again. Uh, he says, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Verse 4, you have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Yeah. He's really worried that they're going to be lost. Mm-hmm. And this book wouldn't make much sense if they couldn't be lost. Because he's warning them, saying, don't give in to this. If you follow this then Christ is of no advantage to you. Christ died in vain, like he said back at the end of chapter 2, and you've fallen from Christ, you're severed from him. Salvation is on the line. Yes. Not for for Gentiles who don't keep the law of Moses, but actually for Gentiles who do keep the law of Moses, thinking that that's what saves them. That's That's the real danger here. That's right. He says in verse 7, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. It, they are letting just a little bit of this false teaching in, and yet it is having this tremendous impact that is ultimately going to cost them their soul. And that's a really good point for us to think about, isn't it, Stephen? That if there is false teaching, we shouldn't even entertain it for an hour, like Paul said back in chapter 2. But we need to get it out as quickly as we can, because before we know it, it can impact our soul. Yeah. So, so Paul hopes for better things concerning these brothers. He, he does talk about their uh, some good qualities that they have and is confident that they're going to, to do better. 
Um, and then he, he, he really moves down to the heart of the matter in chapter 5 about living according to the flesh versus living according to God's spirit and the kinds of things that that produces. He again lists, you know, some of these famous lists about the works of the flesh, which was what was unfortunately happening among the church there where they're biting and devouring each other, um, yeah. all sorts of envy, rivalry going on versus the fruit of the spirit, which is largely qualities that are going to move you to unity, mm-hmm. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Yes. Um, and he says in verse 24, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The heart of false teaching is moving us away from Christ and the qualities that Christ wants to produce in us through his spirit. And, and so he's very clear that this false teaching is not just about believing something false. It is about false attitudes and evil behaviors. And you've got to get all of it out and be renewed by God's spirit um, and walk according to the things that the spirit teaches us through God's word. So it's really powerful to see how, again, a famous passage like the fruit of the spirit fits into a larger discussion of you know what these false teachers were doing in those days. And so uh, verse 26 of this chapter ends with, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Chapter 6, 1, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Instead of biting and devouring one another, what they need to do is be looking out for one another and be willing and ready to restore each other when everyone falls or when anyone falls and looking to yourself so that you too won't be tempted. And so he is trying to shift them away from biting and devouring one another to them helping one another and lifting each other up, um, just like Jesus does. That That's how you fulfill the law of Christ. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, he's just talked about the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. Yeah. It's like, okay, here, here's one example of how you can bear That's the fruit right. of the Spirit, is gently restore each other, uh, which is in part what Paul's trying to do in this letter, right? <laughs> is he's trying to get some wayward brethren back on track. And uh, so very powerful points he makes here, very practical points in chapter 6. Um, and he talks about just sowing what you reap, or reap, excuse me, reaping what you sow, yeah. um, that if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap death uh, or corruption. And so he gets to the end of the letter and, and again affirms that this is a le- legitimate letter from him. This is not a false letter. There were some false letters going around in the first century. Um, but he talks about, at the end, again, a famous statement here that's in contrast to the false teachers who are just trying to boast about themselves, how many converts they made to Judaism. But in contrast to that, Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 14, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Mm-hmm. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's right. So it's beautiful the way he wraps this up and talking about how Jews and Gentiles can be united by dying with Christ, dying to the flesh, putting away selfish desires and fleshly things, and walking by God's Spirit Mm -hmm. in Christ. And that's going to unite this church. It's going to help them thwart the false teachers and be what God wants them to be. 
And I love Paul's ending in verse 17. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me. I hope this straightens you all out. I hope everyone can see the truth of the gospel and this congregation can start living this out and, and have unity. And he says, for I, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Paul has been persecuted. He has certainly been beaten. Scars have been left behind for what he's done for the sake of Christ. And so let no man act like he's not an apostle or that he is doing this for some kind of selfish reason. He's doing this because he loves the Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Verse 18. And so Paul does love this church. He wants the best for them. But he ends still on a note of, I'm doing this because I love the Lord. Uh, I'm not doing this for any kind of selfish reason. Amen. So Galatians as a whole really helps us to get our heads around what it means to defend against false teaching what it means to walk according to God's spirit, and what it means to love God's people enough to help them get back on track. Uh, so many good things here. We'll see this in a lot of other Paul's letters. Um, Lord willing, we'll look at uh, 1 Corinthians next week and think about a church that had a lot of issues <laughs> that need to be resolved by love specifically. Um, so that's a uh, we're looking forward to, to studying that. Yep, that's Lord soon. willing, we'll, we'll, t- we'll dive into 1 Corinthians. If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please uh, leave us a rating or a review, subscribe. Um, If you'd like to connect with us or with other Christians and study, uh, whether you're local here in Harrisburg or somewhere else, we would love to study with you or find someone who will study with you uh, online or in person. Please reach out to us. Let us know. 717-585-0949 or capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information on Bible studies or worship, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.